Welcome to today's episode of The Square. It's going to be a little bit different. So let's get through the normal stuff. I'm Brandon Carmichael. This is James Adams, architect on the commercial sector. But today's going to be a conversation about film and really about architecture and hopefully a better appreciation of architecture and the role of the architect through the lens of film. And it's been something that we have been kind of noodling with for a while. Um, certainly want to mention Adam Flaw, who's a producer for The Square, and Luke Boney, who's the DP and at times co-director, don't let that go to your head, Luke, um, of The Square, and certainly instrumental in helping guide where some of these episodes go. And, and to your point, like there's a lot of people that are behind the scenes that some people you, you never really have an appreciation for. Oh, so many roles for both. Which is actually not that dissimilar from a building. No, not at all. Very, very similar. you have similar. a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. So anyway, we're, we have watched a couple of films specifically in preparation for today. This is going to be probably a multi-series thing. We don't know how many episodes. We're going to kind of let it grow as it needs to. Yeah. But I brought two films. So my two films were um, Inception and Gattaca. Great movies. And you brought... The Royal Tenenbaums. The Royal Tenenbaums. And, you remember? And North, North by, by Northwest. Northwest. So we kind of cover various... Uh, periods of Hollywood history, oh, oh. various actors, and certainly various stories. And the idea is just to have a conversation. We may get to one film. We may get through all four. Yeah. yeah. I you know, you mentioned how we did some planning for this, but really we watched movies, right? Yeah. And nothing is better than being able to, you know, at the home front, anywhere, able to say, I I've got to work tonight. i got to yeah. go turn <laughs> Conception on. So just hold on while I go You know what was interesting? When I went home, I told my wife, I was like, hey, I have to watch these movies. And she was like, okay, well, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. I had no idea... We've been married 15 years now, have two children. I had no idea. She has a huge appreciation for old movies. She wanted to watch North by Northwest out of all four films on that list, and she liked them all. She wanted to watch North by Northwest because she really likes some of the older films. I had no oh, idea. Yeah. One of the greatest movies of all time. We're already healing mar marriages. Not that it needed to be healed. <laughs> healing you marriages. I love it. I love it. Um, so let, I, I'd actually like to start with North by Northwest. You not jump just right into the movie. I just want to go right oh, to well, it. Let's, let's, tell me, tell let's me why not, you... Let's, let's, I want to wait. I tell me wait. why you're here. Okay, why am I... I'm here. Why, why am I here? <laughs> Can we get a movie about that? <laughs> no one would watch that. But I think, you know, on that same point, I think that often when you, when you, as an architect, when you look into architecture and film mm -hmm. and blog posts, stories, things like that about yeah. it, to me it always seems to be a bunch of old dudes Talking yeah. about Blade Runner, yeah, and why it's the greatest architecture movie, which it's not. Yeah, and that's another hot take. We'll get to another day. Great movie, but that's we're not talking about that, right? We yeah. picked some films that I think somewhere like, Francis Walker's rolling over. <laughs> He's probably asleep at this point, but well, <laughs> he's rolling over. Yeah. But. but to that point, I think the movies that we picked and we talked, really the planning that went into this, um, and we'll see how much we get into those. Was this the bigger idea of architecture and the movies and how they relate? And to, to I think one of the talking points we we really covered was how um, how complex it is to make a movie. Yeah. How many roles there are in it? How complex architecture is to produce a building, and how we gauge that type of art. They're 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 both have functional roles in society. Film and and, yeah, and sure. architecture does, but they're also their art. At the end of the day, they are they are. They do have a role in art. Their aesthetics do matter. And that's hard to deliver a good aesthetic in either one of those mediums when so many people are involved in the process. And it's almost a miracle when a great building happens or a great story happens. Yeah. There are a lot of good ones. There are a lot of good buildings. There are a lot of good movies. But it makes the great ones really stand mm -hmm, out when they mm -hmm. happen. That's an important thing. And I think um, just getting into that topic is a big part of this, too. I think understanding, you know, a lot of professions are covered in film, right? you know, whether it be TV, yeah, yeah. general hospital. We, have a, like we experience that, right? a lot of things through film, yeah. if not f only, film first. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about the uh, – tell the story about the MRI. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I thought that was – I mean, that was a great example. Uh, I try to remember the backstory on this uh, totally, but uh, I, I had never – I saw an MRI recently. Uh, my, my daughter was actually getting one, and – I had never seen the machine in person. It always was in movies. It was. I think. They, I think that one of these examples I gave were all across the map. But one of them was actually The Sopranos, a random yeah. you know, TV series, um, early two thousands. And there's a scene when the lead character has a has a uh, gets scanned. And I just had no idea what to experience, what it was like, and going into the hospital, the children's hospital here in Dallas, and and 
watching my daughter go into that machine, it was a very, very different experience. It's a very large room. It's it's very controlled environment um, due to the magnetic uh, resonation yeah. of skin yeah, yeah, and how yeah. that works. And so we had to you know check everything that went in the room. And ironically, we watched a movie while while she was while in the she MRF. was being scanned. They have they had a sister. She watched uh, Disney's Tangled, but um, <laughs> a movie that we'd seen hundreds of times. I mean, we talked about how many movies we've watched or which movies we've watched over yes. and over again. I failed to mention that the movies I have seen the most are going to be anything my daughter has wanted to yeah. watch. I am always amazed at my son's ability to not like repetitively watch a movie over the course of days, repetitively watch a movie over the course of a day. They can watch the same movie th three times in one day yeah. and be fascinated by it yeah. and be quoting it for oh, yeah. months on end. Yeah. I forget what, I think maybe it was, I forget what movie it is that they've been watching recently. I got a, oh, it was Matilda. Matilda. Of all, of the, the, mm -hmm. the, the singing one. Yeah. And I hear them as they're going to bed singing, Revolt, revolt, revolt. <laughs> you know, okay, something on a similar note is we all, well, we all, it's quite common to quote movies, right? Yeah. I'm quoting movies all the time. Yeah. And there are quotes I think I have absolutely right. I'm sure I'm butchering a lot of quotes. Yeah. But we all know them. I mean, and usually we can find uh, a common a common understanding of what that quote is and the, and the context of it. And I think architecture, again, very similar. It's easy to bite off um, pieces. pieces of architecture yeah. and think of iconic shapes of buildings or you know, materials or plazas or whatever it might be. And I think that you know, we, we all do that. Even those of us who aren't in the, um, the building and design industry, we still interact with buildings every day, right? Yeah. You can't, we're in a building right now. If you were watching this, you're probably in a building. And if you're not in a building, you are looking at a building and you can see one because if Unless you recorded this or in the mountains and watching it replayed on your phone, yeah, um, you you have to be around architecture, yeah. the built environment. So it's a big part of what we're doing. So everyone knows buildings, but we don't always understand them. And back to that point about how we cover, we learn about so many things through film. Um, that's how a lot of us outside of the industry know about architecture. We know about it through movies. Both architects themselves, the profession of architecture. Think of the Brady Bunch, right? And you know, yeah. architect or uh, Mr. Ed or you know, millions of examples, but. Um, we we know the buildings themselves from film. Okay, so then let me, um, this may be a little cliche, but I'm curious about what was the first film you remember watching and what was the first building you remember, you remember like appreciating the design? That's a great question. You think I'd know that off the top of my head? I think for movies, the first one I actually recall, and it is May the 4th. <laughs> May the 4th be with May you. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> but it's Return of the Jedi. Mm. I know I saw E.T. before that. And I have some memories of that. But I, re I distinctly remember Return of the Jedi. And I remember um, so some key scenes in that movie. The the palace of the lead gangster in the yep. first or Jabba the Hutt. I remember that palace very well. Uh, a lot of the imperial architecture of the Death Star. And, you know, so you probably could do a whole episode on just yeah. Death Star we may architecture. need to do a whole, right? yeah. <laughs> but um, that's probably one of the first ones I remember from that perspective. And then the, uh, what was the second part of the, the question? building? What's the building that stands out in your mind? Gosh, that's a tough one. I, you know, I grew up uh, as a, when I, when I grew up in Albuquerque before moving to Houston, and so there's a lot of uh, historic architecture, if you will. There was a lot of the Pueblo um, structures that were there. Some of the earliest things I remember seeing in the built environment. Something more modern. Uh, it's actually probably the World Trade Center. The the, really? the 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 towers. Yeah, you know the old towers. And I you know I didn't see them in person. But I remember when I, I remember them from just from reading about them and learning about them and seeing their architecture and how massive they were and, and how commanding and the, the, the emotional experience they evoked, even if you weren't in front of them, even just from looking at a photo, yeah. you could pick up on that. That's probably a really early experience. I think I was talking to you about this a little bit earlier, but I think the, the movie that <laughs> is so typical, the movie that stands out for me as like one that I will all like just has this special place in my heart. It wasn't the first movie I saw and it wasn't the first movie that made me think, you know, or feel something. But Dumb and Dumber <laughs> because I have such memories tied to it okay. with my roommate in college sure, because sure. we had taken our big old CRT monitor sure. and we kind of pointed it towards the bed and that was one of those movies that we just kind of always had playing at certain times 
And we would, you know, at a certain point fall asleep, turn it off, wake up the next morning, be like, we're just going to watch five minutes. And then we would end up missing class because we were sitting there. Hopefully my parents aren't watching this. But they would sit there. We would sit there and watch the whole rest of the show. And it, it just, I can't, I can't even begin to count the number of times we watched that movie. And, and the funny part is, is I was fortunate enough to be, to have a roommate who was from the same, um, I went to school in Chicago and he was from the same town I was in in Florida. So we knew each other. And we were kind of like on this adventure of of college in Chicago, right along, you know, Lloyd and and um, Harry and 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 uh, and then not having an architecture background at all. The first um, building I can remember like having an emotional connection with was actually Parkland, and it was because I didn't have an appreciation for an architect or a designer's point of view really before working at Corgan, yeah. and. Um, as part one of very early on when I started working here, we got to go and tour it, and I thought it was such a cool design from the outside. But they took us to the NICU, and I had such an appreciation for the NICU because my son had been in the NICU right after he was born, and the way that they had designed it so that you, it was right next to the L and D rooms, and it was they were private, so you could be in the NICU with your son. And when my son had been in the NICU, you couldn't be in the NICU. You could go and visit him, but you couldn't stay with him. Yeah. And I remember thinking, God, somebody thought this through in a way that really is going to have a huge impact on the people's lives yeah. that inhabit the space. And it was, I remember vividly it being something that kind of struck me as the importance of focusing on the people that inhabit a space. Yeah. You know, it's, that's touching on another hallmark of, of architecture is that we talk about its complexity in film. Um, both of these evoke a range of emotions. Yeah. And architecture is often designed categorically to like a film to yeah. to evoke certain emotions right or a certain a certain for sure comfort with the space or to put awe into you and i think like film you you can watch a film several times and notice different things every time you watch the film and how you experience a film in different um moments or times in your life or who you're with yeah alter that experience just like architecture and i think the reason why again goes back to how complex they are how many how many steps there are along the way in that process to, to tell that story, whether it's in a film or tell the story of a building and what you're doing and why you're there, even the process. We spend so much time in architecture, um, you know, in the details, but even with the big ideas, we're, we're trying to understand, you know, these these milestone parts of a, a procession in architecture about the, the arrival sequence, that sense of arrival when you're there, um, the the wayfinding in a space mm. and how you get through there. A lot of things you can solve with signage, right? But it, but a good architecture is ideally uh, aspiring to to make it an easy process to understand where you're going in a building and why you're going there. Yeah, and it should feel natural. And I think in film there are tools you can overcome. You, you can, can you, you can, can do wayfinding for the story in yeah flashback. Yeah. or you can tell instead of showing in film, which. It's not always the best way to do it, but you can't, right? Well, and and you know, again, to draw another parallel, there's the cleverness with which you do it, yeah. and the even subtlety with which you do it. How intuitive, intuitive it is to be able to get from one piece of the building to another, or one piece of the story to another, yeah. where you didn't even realize that you ended up there, but it was very fluid, yeah. is uh, yeah. as I think probably a mark of a lot of great directors too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's we got to get through one film. Yeah, we do. So, are you good starting with Northwest? Let's do it. North by Northwest. Yeah. Okay. Um, I this was my first watch through Great. for this, and I'm a big um, Cary Grant fan. Yeah. I will tell you, when I started watching it, um, and, and I, I love a, a lot of Hitchcock films. I certainly haven't seen them all, but I, I have my favorites. But <laughs> uh, when they've when they've captured Cary Grant mm-hmm. and they're in. The, the cab? The, no, when they're in, no, that was a great scene too. But when they're in the library. Yes. And yes. they you, you're kind of thrown off by the different angles because they skew the angles mm-hmm. a lot. And then um, uh, James Mason walks in, and all I could think was, that's Captain Nemo. Because <laughs> I love 2000 Leagues Under the Sea growing up. Oh, yeah. And he was in so many great films, but I, I had to cut it kind of like it, it threw me out for a second because of my personal, you know, preference to watch yeah. him. Well, and I, that those kind of things happen in architecture as well, right? There are certain um, structural solutions or methods. There are architectural detailing that we use to evoke a certain emotion, yeah. maybe like an actor, because because architecture in film 
is a character, right? Yeah, it, you, absolutely. In a good film, it is, right? And, 100%. Um, I think just to backtrack to, so North by Northwest, yep. 1959, yep. Alfred Hitchcock, um, it was to be the the Hitchcock of all Hitchcock movies, yeah. right? I think it's somewhere probably early, but not. it's not his first work. It's probably, what, fifth or sixth film? Yeah, something somewhere like that. Okay. That. So um, uh, some people consider it the first James Bond film, in a yeah. sense, this whole whodunit kind of movie. Um, well, not whodunit, but... Case of mistaken identity, yeah, right? Exactly. And um, espionage. It's it's danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a movie, you know, made in the late fifties. Yeah. And the architecture. The reason I picked this movie is that's being a great film. Is the role of architecture in this movie? You know, we're talking about a man who uh, he's a he's a advertising guy, yep. you know, madman type character, right? Yep. In the fifties, and starts off with just tons of people in the movie. It's New York City, it's packed, and he is clearly a man of taste and wealth. He's in power. He is. He's, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's got his he's got assistant control. with him. And, Absolutely. And taking notes for all the things he needs done. All Has a great done. relationship with his mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And uh, we, we get all these shots of New York. We get yeah. all these great shots of New York, of his office, um, and it leads him from, from that first point starting off in his office to the Plaza Hotel. And so we see all this wealth. Yeah. Okay, we're seeing this is this is post-war America. We're, we're, we're 15 years into it. Like, we're, yeah. America is just brought, these are the These are, from a financial perspective, probably some of the best times in America. For sure. Maybe besides the late 20s, right? Yeah. Um, and that opulence is shown in the film. You're seeing all this wealth. And you see how he's part of that, right? And then quickly he becomes this character who is uh, helpless yeah. to, to get free. And he's a prisoner in plain sight. Uh, even with all the wealth and trappings of, I mean, they, they go to all these points to show all the um, the the clothing and the branding, all these things that are in the yep. movie. And the Bergdorf's, yeah, yep. Bergdorf's, absolutely, the, the purse and things like yeah. that. And and the architecture is in the same way. I think we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but an iconic part of that movie, the last, you know, last the, the third act of that movie, is uh, at this house, right? Right. And this house is which is not. A Frank yeah. Lloyd Wright not, house. Not a Frank Lloyd Wright house, but it was designed to be a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Right. So the funny story about this, as I understand it, is 10 years earlier, um, he had been approached, Frank Lloyd Wright, architect, had been approached to to do a set design. For yeah, it a wasn't movie. a Hitchcock film. It, it was something Hitchcock. else. But he, he basically asked for 10% of the, like his fees would be. They thought project. it was 10% of the set budget initially, and they drew up a whole contract and sent it to him, and he goes, no, no, no. Ten percent of the of the of the budget, of yeah. the film budget. Yeah, so that and that's happen. why he never worked on a film. It didn't happen, right? So I, I can't name the set designers uh, who worked on this, but they they made this. There's a great um, uh, uh, matte painting um, of the of the house. This probably looks like probably a pre-production still. Yeah. of the film of the house. So it's uh, here. Here we here we go. Here it is in the movie. So the home is it's got some pretty iconic Frank Lloyd Wright moves, which would have been. Appropriate, and they really understand that in the building. You know, these these supports underneath it aren't quite something you would see on a Frank Lloyd Wright house. But you know, falling water had been done quite a while before right. this, and and Frank Lloyd Wright is a household name. He's he's everywhere at this time period, right? Yeah. And so they really wanted that look of the home. Again, it, it shows this the opulence and the wealth and the the modernity of of what is encapsulated by these characters. The, the evil henchman is in this house, and this is also a good lead into being. Setting the tone for, we, we probably could do a whole episode on this, but uh, villains in James Bond movies yeah. <laughs> and other movies that parrot that or or or, or copy it, um, parody it, uh, are are you know start from they yeah. come from this house, this idea of this very very contemporary modern futuristic modern, yeah, house sure. that 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 um, tells this story, and so this all happens at Rush at Mount Rushmore. And this final act, and Cary Grant comes into the home to, to save the day, I guess essentially. Um, but this architecture just speaks that time period. And we had, we had some also some shots in this movie. Well, before you okay. go off of this one, yeah. Thank yeah. you to to everybody that's behind the scenes. This is also an early VFX shot. Yeah. Because essentially, and I don't know exactly where the line is, but I'm going to guess it's somewhere in here with the road. This was all live action, yeah. and that was all a matte painting, and they just combined it in the lab to create this exterior because um, <laughs> I was reading about how they had to go through like all this whole permitting process and all these environmentalists and park rangers had to go with the set designers just to be able to go and take location photos on the top of Mount Rushmore. It was a complete non-starter. They were going to be able to build anything. Yeah. And so they basically built this in Culver City, a couple of the interiors and a couple, not the whole building. Um, and uh, But they did these map paintings and several ones. And we'll, I think, 
the UN building and a few others oh, we'll look at in a minute. Oh, yeah. Go after well, those. Actually, I love that because talking about the, the way this, this scene was made in the movie, because uh, a little off tangent here, but one of my favorite filmmakers, I'm not saying his films are the, my favorite, but as a filmmaker is James Cameron. Mm-hmm. And I, I love his work and grew up on a lot of those action movies, um, Terminator, Terminator 2, yeah. The Abyss, Aliens, uh, all these movies in the 80s. And, you know, before he before he made movies, and you probably know this a lot better than I do, but you know, he he painted yeah. um, these kind of these kind of back back plate paintings uh, for for movies. He did this, and he model he made models and things like that. And I think that that showed the the complexity again of the the, the many hats you can wear as an architect or maybe as a filmmaker to to understand the bigger vision. And so understanding all the how he wanted to film the how James Cameron wanted to film the look yeah. when he paints some of these kind of scenes. You know, it was something that spilled over into his talent, into being able to visualize how he wanted to make a story, tell a story later on. So funny enough, before James Mason became an actor, he was in architecture school. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I found that little tidbit when I was researching for this, and I had no idea that he uh, he wanted to do that. So let's take a look at the UN stuff, because I think those are, again, beautiful yeah. matte paintings. So there's next year. And this is actually a live shot, because the UN building had been just finished yeah. before they filmed yeah. this. And and just you speak to the the international style of architecture here. This is this is this is modern architecture. This yeah. is really was what was driving that movement and the the power, the wealth of the you know the UN, the world where we, where we were headed, the the optimism that was in uh, our culture at that time period of of progress and um, of growth. It's so evident there. I, I love this. Such an iconic shot. This map painting is just fantastic. And it's only on screen for a few moments yeah. as he gets into the cab, which I guess just a small portion and the, the cab at the top of the page is actually the one that drives off in the scene. But it, it gives you the scale of this building. And yeah. I think that's, it reinforces the architecture, this idea of this, this very powerful, strong building, this fortress that you come into. But it's a fortress not of stone but of glass and steel of modern materials and this well and you know hitchcock certainly wasn't alone in this but again it it reinforces that idea of the environment and the architecture being a character in the film like this is another matte painting where basically everybody in the lower fourth is live and then they they matte painted the top but it's it's that idea of re i mean we're seeing this is i think these scenes are like in the first third of the movie right right before um, he really has to go on the run, and they're already kind of setting up that postmod or the uh, modern style for what's going to yeah. happen at the very end of the film. Yeah. yeah, again, you're seeing a lot of that international style influence. You're seeing the modernism. You're seeing the cantilevers. You're seeing all these things that were of the time period um, of, the, of this new architecture coming through. You know, we're coming out of this traditional architecture 50 years earlier, and, and modernism is reaching its 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 peak. It's it's mid you know mid mid century that we know of. It's it's happening when this movie was made. So it's speaks to all those those great ideas it's a it's a um it's pushing ahead you know and i think yeah. that's something that this movie captures to frame these characters this is supposed to be a character who while the everyday person probably would never go to the un never go in here i mean they had trouble right. even getting here to film anything right they didn't even film the scene here because they had they couldn't get in we're seeing this modern we're, we're getting the emotional response from that for the average you know film goer to see this movie even for things we'll never experience. Most of us will never experience. We're not going to be a madman on you know Madison Avenue making ads, but we watch TV and we yeah. know the commercials and and what goes into all of that, right? We use the products. We're a consumer nation at that point. We're really kind of coming into that, and that includes consuming architecture, which is something that's out of reach for most people. So every day, along that, even lines, though we're in it, even though we're in architecture every day, we don't we don't make it. Most of us do not. So I think that's a great segue because I think that one of the things that's interesting about films is when the set design is appropriately used when the director has spent that time making it a character that Mm -hmm. works with the film you don't even think about it like you don't think about the set design it just naturally goes with the story I've got to imagine there's a tie there to architecture especially architecture that's really well done and is intuitive you don't think about it it's just something that makes a building naturally more you know comforting navigatable whatever it is that they're the art the designer is going for it's something that bad architecture stands out way more than good architecture does especially from an from an interior and a usability standpoint yeah yeah 
I, you know, I, I, we should segue here because I think that wants me to bring me to my second movie. Yes, actually. I want to go. I want to go to the Royal Tenenbaums. So uh, next movie, I'm I sucker for Wes Anderson. Right, Wes Anderson. I, Wes Anderson's very in vogue uh, and has been for a while. But his, I think it's his third film, maybe maybe at least fourth. Um, was the Royal Tenenbaums, so 2001, yep. a movie that I saw, I think, five times in the theater in about four days because I just fell in love with it instantly, <laughs> instantly loved that movie. And um, while I was in architecture school, yeah. um, a few years earlier, he had been making a movie called uh, Rushmore Yep. Uh, 1998, and I think 98, could be 97. But anyway, in, in 97 or 98, when they were filming it, one of my classmates, uh, Stephen Landon, who actually lives in Hawaii now, he's... Oh. But he was in architecture school as well, and he was very into film. And so he had he had seen they were be filming a, a movie with Bill Murray uh, in Houston. Yep. And so he tried to get a bunch of us to go down there to be extras in the movie. So he has a non-speaking role in <laughs> in Rushmore, which is his claim to fame. I uh, wish I had gone down there in hindsight. Yeah. He said it was great to talk to Bill Murray and go to the catering line as an extra yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so they fast forward a couple of years and. Saw Royal Tenenbaums. Anyway, Royal Tenenbaums, to me, it's my favorite, favorite movie. Yeah. Maybe I've seen more than I've seen Star Wars, and I love Star wow, Wars. Wow, that's Star saying Wars, something. <laughs> and the thing about that movie is it's something that is so warm, a movie. It is such a, the way it is filmed and how it is shot and the, the set design more than anything else. So, the, the, you know, the story in Royal Tenenbaums is about a bunch of um, geniuses who uh, I guess you call it the trappings of adolescence peaking early. Right. And it's like, where are these, where are these individuals lives going as they're now adults? And the, the set of that movie is uh, a home in Harlem, a very large house. It's referred to as one Eleven Archer in the movie. And uh, it's a real place. And they, they spent, I think I understand they spent, you may know more about this too. They spent like six months. Wes Anderson did with his team. Propping and staging. Propping, you know, getting this home ready. It's a very maximalist, architecture in this movie. So I recently went to uh, the, the last residence of the architect and uh, professor at UT, Charles Moore. He has a, a home uh, in Austin. I was there a few weeks ago. And every little tchotchke you could ever imagine is in that home. And while the man has been, while, while Charles Moore passed away a long time ago, you can feel his personality in yeah. that home still today, all this time later. It's been so well preserved. And the Royal Tenenbaums is like that. Every one of the rooms that these, these, these four children grew up in, in this house is uh, so evident, their personalities. And it's, it's a character, the house is unto itself, which became a hallmark of Wes Anderson, I think, kind of after this film. You see it in so many of his movies. And, yeah. and before this, while he started, you know, he had, there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house, the only Frank Lloyd Wright home uh, in Dallas, one of four Frank Lloyd Wright projects in Texas, period, is uh, one of the opening scenes in Bottle Rocket, his, right. his first movie, right? And so you, he obviously you saw the importance of architecture in making film, but it wasn't until here where we began to see this amazing set. This well, and even his composition, like it's hell, so yeah. architecturally mm-hmm. motivated. I think what's interesting about this, the set designers, and I, I should have looked up exactly who they were, but this this had to be such an like a project of a lifetime because it's not just going in and propping one house. It's propping like really like six houses, right? Oh, because yeah. each floor has the room in the corner that you know, is the personality yeah. of the three children or I guess two children and one adopted child. As, <laughs> yes, that's right. As right. The, the and one neighbor who never and one neighbor who never, every yeah. meal, right? Oh, and Wilson's and character, yeah. I love how um, the, you, 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 there is zero doubt where the city, you know, where the context for this house is. Oh, yeah, is. New York, right? Despite the fact Wes Anderson went out of his way to make sure that it didn't have any specific New York landmarks. Yeah. It's also a movie that, um, which I think, I think one of the reasons why he did that also was because of the, specifically the architecture. So yeah. you're saying he, he makes it so you don't know it's New York. Right. Well, he also has to um, conceal certain buildings and structures because those buildings and structures also date to a certain time. It's and true. so while the movie is... It gives it a timeless aspect. It does. Absolutely. It, timeless, but also it's this nagging feeling of like, you, you feel like you know you're in the 70s, yeah. but you're not because there's technology they're using that's a more current day. But there's certain technologies they don't have in the movie and other things that they, they lean in lean into that, that makes you like, okay, this is definitely when they... This movie's frozen in time. Right. In the 70s when they were little kids, but now we're seeing them as adults and it's still the 70s in yeah. New York. I was reading an article, they, it's, they, the, the writer said this, so I definitely don't get credit for saying it, but the writer said basically this was the, this was the story 
that a West and young Wes Anderson living in Texas, this is how he imagined the lives of New Yorkers were <laughs> through reading the magazine, The New Yorker. Yeah. And that's what kind of led to his inspiration for this story. And when you think about that, it, all of the different kind of dramas and whatnot, while not being cliche, 100% fall in line with what you would imagine somebody oh, yeah. reading The New Yorker yeah. would would experience. Yeah. It's a, well, it's a metaphor because it's also speaking to that time period when New York was in full decay. Right. Right. And it's... There's all this grandeur and belief of what New York was. We even, I'm going to flip back here, but Grand Central Station plays a role in North by Northwest, North yeah. right? And so we're here in this New York where we don't get to see those those monuments to success. We're just seeing this decaying city, but it's still a little bit more modern. You're not quite sure. And a comment you made there reminds me when I was young, uh, I used to watch a lot of film, and we had one of the only real treats we had as far as like luxuries was my parents had HBO. As a kid, we didn't just for a while there, and yeah. and this is the '80s and HBO, so it is just chock full of <laughs> everything a, a, a young <laughs> developing child should not be watching. So I watched, you know, every. I remember, and, and what I remember when I think of that, I think of like movies like Death Wish, which yeah. is about an architect, yep. right, who is on a, a, a vengeance path to take down the, the seedier parts of New York City. Yeah. Well, that's the New York City I grew up seeing. It was always alleys with escape. Uh, uh, fire escape ladders, yep. people, or the sewer that you could go down in, uh-huh. yep, and, and it was that kind of thing. Which you know that that probably ties into something that came a little bit later, later. Eastman and Laird, the the cartoonists who did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yep. in the mid '80s, late '80s, that we all know today. But it was this very gritty, gritty New York in, yeah. in that in the sewers, right? But that was how I saw New York growing up. And then you know, fast forward to the early '90s when we've got Seinfeld. And friends and yep. things that are showing me this New York that is the new New York, yeah, the '90s New York that is suddenly the hip New York the place to be. Yeah, exactly. It kind of ties into I think the Royal Tenenbaums in that sense. Speaking of that clean. that scene in, to Grand Central Station, the <laughs> the producer brain of mine went back to God. He got so many extras in that shot to fill out Grand Central Station oh, yeah. for essentially like a five to six second shot where he goes up to the ticket yeah. line and then gets out of the ticket line and goes around the corner like. Yeah. Anyway, what's interesting about that too? So while now it's all VFX. Well, while we're on the mindset of um, talking about how time is seen through film and these yeah. movies, it's an interesting topic. I don't think we we hadn't talked about this at all before. Um, at least not directly. Is a movie that you had brought, which I'm jumping ahead here, is actually Gattaca. So right. you're, you're Gattaca. So this is a movie that I've only seen a, a couple of times. Yeah. I watched it again recently. It's a it's actually a brilliant film. It's a dystopian science fiction piece. It's filmed entirely in Northern California. Right. Um, and the valley and, and and whatnot, and it has a lot of Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. It's got it's got a pre-doc building that's now been demolished, actually, um, at, at Cal Poly. It's it's uh, this this yeah, the administration on the building on the this left the here. Yeah, it's I think it's called the CIT building that was demolished due to seismic issues um, some years back. But but that that arch- and it's it's uh, it's uh, pre-doc architect from uh, New Mexico, actually my home state. So. Um, there's a this movie. Why I bring this up was this is a dystopian future, right? Yeah. And and the contrast, the comment you made about Grand Central Station, when you watch that movie, it is packed with people. Yeah. People everywhere. It's it's New York City in the 1950s, late 50s, and it is robust, energetic. It, again, already talk about decaying New York later yeah. in the 70s. Here we are at the peak of New York, right? In North by Northwest. Well, this movie being this dystopian future, with I don't know if we actually have a year so associated. Sparse. The only place there's people that we really see yeah. is when they're going to work, when yeah. they're all going to the. I mean, that's a, that's that's shot in a Frank Lloyd Wright building, um, uh, north. Uh, I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's 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 north of San Francisco. Um, I'm trying to think of the campus it's on, but it's a, a beautiful building. For one of the last building, last it's actually the last commission I think he did in 1559. So, filmed it made at the time that North by Northwest was filmed, but now it's this future sterile. There's a lot of concrete. There's, there's early brutalist architecture yeah. throughout this film. Everything is clean and sterile, which is a, which is a point of the movie. is It's about genetics and you know what's who interesting you are, about right? that is you you see t- to that to that idea of clean and sterile, and there's this this idea that there's you know. It's it's such a they're trying the the story is the context is oh it's such a better you know future because you can program you know your sons and daughters and humans and you have these rows of desks yeah. right and it's it's so utilitarian and yet there's it and that and yet there's such a sparsity of people you're you're yeah. absolutely right even when they're going to work 
you know, uh, and, and a lot of films that I'm thinking like, you know, Elysium and, and other ones yeah. where you've got, you know, there's sparsity and there's there's space where the upper crust is, right? Where yeah. there's the high society and yeah. lower society always has, you know, overcrowding and poverty. There's none of that in here. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a uniformly kind of bleak outlook. Yeah. And you have all these really, you know, these systems even coming down to how you would program out a child you want to have. And obviously, if, yeah. you, if you've, you know, that's a big part of the story. And yet you have these beautiful pieces of architecture and almost product design that happen in Jude Law's character's house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, that th- th- there's this weird dichotomy between, you know, brutalism and utility and yet a beauty and an art in very small patches. Yeah, yeah. The, like the stairwell. The, well, the eugenics, I mean, this is this is supposed to be the metaphor, right, for the um, for DNA, the yeah, strand, the staircase, exactly, right? Yeah. Who's living down here and who's theirs. This, the duality of this movie is these two characters, um, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke and, and uh, Jude Law here as being the, the Jude Law's, the, so the, the, the kind of premise behind the movie, right, eugenics is about right. the ability to manipulate DNA in the future so that you can make your child more perfect, or whatever that it can't version. Protect of, you from an accident. It can't protect you from an accident. Also, and nor as to the character of Ethan Hawke means that it should be a limitation that right. lack of perfect. He was a natural. I forget. There's a term they call it normie. It's yes. Something that effect yeah, they yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but also an interesting thing here is this movie is, it's predominantly, this future, work environment that is, sterile. Here's that. This is that Frank Lloyd Wright building, yeah. and it is. It's a bunch of. I'll go there. A bunch of white males that are unhappy but have all the wealth yeah. and everything, and and they're they're all fighting to be the next best guy. And that, that shot earlier uh, of the office space, Ethan Hawke is talking to uh, the administrator, I guess, in, in the in the facility, and then environment. You know, again, we're in a Frank Lloyd Wright space, and a building of his that was again, an iconic one. I think it's the John, Johnson Wax. The shows the office of the future and these big yeah. open offices, and it's brightly lit and it's this happy place. This is the future. It's an open office. It's great. Yeah. But then you see this exact same kind of setup, and now it's just bleak, dark. The lights coming in dimly through the windows outside. There's very little artificial light in the space, and everyone's just working away. And look how it's almost, everyone almost looks the same. Well, um, and I think it's really interesting at the at the end of the story. Like here he is. The whole movie leads up to him, basically trying to beat the system. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. trying to beat the system. And ultimately, he fails. He doesn't beat the system. They have the random, you know, drug test at the end, and it's it's another human. It's the doctor that ends up allowing him to be successful. So he he even though he can't beat the system, even though there's a suppression that really kind of in theory wins out, it's that humanity that comes in and saves the story at the end. Yeah, it's interesting how they film in these spaces because. Uh, I'm hoping, actually hoping to go see this building this summer. I'm going to be out there. This is in L.A.? This is, no, this is, uh, this is actually, this is north of uh, Oakland and San Francisco, oh, okay. across the bay on the north side, um, I guess further north. Than, you know what it's used for now? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a university building, oh, okay. I believe. I, I'm going to get busted for that later, but uh, you couldn't remember the director, so we'll call yeah, it. There even. we go. But, but, um, <laughs> but this, is, this is a very... Uh, the roof on this is like a bright, yeah, there it is, that bright roof. Oh, wow. It's a very, I mean, it's high, this is high Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah. late in his career, and it's got all the trappings of a Frank Lloyd Wright building. It's so ornamental on the outside, and on the inside has those grand spaces, so you don't see the outside in the movie, right? You wouldn't see this. It would be too revealing of a different, happier um, future, and instead it's, we get these, we get these iconic yeah. Shots inside, and the use of color in that movie is also important. Oh, you know, the, we could do a whole episode on. We, we could, and I, I don't want to go too far into that, but the fact that like yellow and blue are a big part of the movie, this uh, clean, uh, blank architecture, and also some of the shots like of the pre-doc building, they're blank canvases. So then, when you when you run a filter in film over that to give it this bright color, that color really pops. Then yeah. you really get the yellow or the blue uh, in those scenes. Um, that, that they are sorry, red, it's red, yellow, and blue. I guess uh, they really pop because you have these. Here you go. They're going to see that right there. That the, the dingy, a uh, filter they put on that um, is very effective because it reflects on all those buildings, all that pavement, all that concrete. Yeah. Very effective tool in this movie, and 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 this architecture too just evokes that sense of, of um, magnitude and and uh, mass that's with these buildings, right? So yeah. It's, it's interesting how that there's I, there's just such a weight to it. I yeah exactly yeah. very very different than watching the Royal Tenenbaums, which yeah. is, this is minimalist architecture largely. You have very maximalist architecture and all those busy interior designed sets. I mean the interior design in that 
Royal Tenenbaums is just, it's got everything, right? Yeah. And there's so nothing here. Very, very, yeah. very, very, very little here. Both beautiful in their own way. Both evoke different emotions and different responses from people. Well, and that kind of, we could just put the cherry on top with Inception because <laughs> you have, you go from something where there's almost, you know, it, it's, it almost prides itself on a lack of things yeah. to Inception where your mind creates the whole world around it. And, and you have, you know, there's, there's a very literal kind of correlation to the architect, which um, actually played by various people throughout yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, but the idea being that they create these worlds that are immersive. One of the things that I first caught on to was how it really is, a, a, it mimics the creative process because yeah. you have this idea where um, I think the character name is Ariande is Ariande, is okay. is the one who creates these worlds. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is right after the the cafe explodes because uh, yes. Leo's character has explained you're inside this world and you're the one controlling it. Okay, and then she has this realization that she can she can create. Yeah, here's a great film yeah. uh, still from the film. Yeah. She can create these these worlds and anything is malleable, even physics. Yeah. And I, I've got to believe that there is, this is like an architect's dream, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you, she's able to see these where there is, there's this, one of the, again, the, they go on a walk and there's these mirror doors yeah. that they swing and, you know, somehow they VFXed out or hid the crew. And it's just this idea of both creation and perception yeah. and how those two go together yeah. to quite literally create this story in someone's mind that then you bring the the victim or the client depending yeah. on which it yeah. is into well it's that as you said it i mean there they have been time here and and an architect is dealing with so many factors so in the movie when they, you take out the laws of physics as one of the limiting factors it's interesting i know we bounced around on a bunch of different movies but one other point i wanted to make was uh, you, I'm sure you're aware of this too, but in back in North by Northwest, um, and you see this in a lot of film, but a movie like that where you have a very modernist home with yeah. large pieces of glass, right? We talked about how, you know, the UN, all this glass yeah. steel. Um, you think of like the Farnsworth house and, and all the glass on it, the glass house, things like that, Phil Johnson. Um, so they left the glass out of, of the, the house. Yeah. So you wouldn't get the reflection <laughs> and glare, right? I guess there probably are a few scenes. There's a couple of spots. Okay, right? where there is glass, but yeah. mostly it's all taken out. And it's just funny how that, you know, is reflecting the architecture, reflecting people. It's just another, it's a glass is such a key part of architecture as well. Total non sequitur there, but I just wanted to hit on it. Well, and director. Christopher Nolan, you know, has these incredible visions of how he wants a story to play out. The, you know, and the same has to be true with an architect. And like you said, it's a it's a love hate relationship through the process. Yeah. But you have this idea of what what you want a building to do or what you want it to look like at the end. And then you you spend however long, you know, it could be a matter of months to a matter of years. Yeah. Having that come to fruition. Is there are, are there ties to how you creatively think through a design? I think I think so. Um that it's a process, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of, I'm actually segueing from your question a little bit here, but that process is over time, right? And things change. Which is a whole nother element in the movie. Well, that's, I, think, I mean, Christopher Nolan's probably signature thematic uh, part of his stories is always time. All of his yeah. stories are about time, right? Go yeah. back to Memento or God, the most recent Memento. things. Like yeah. they're, all, they're all about time. Interstellar, they're all about time. And this movie's about time as well. Yeah. It's about uh, timing in, in, in this dream sequence. And what I, What's interesting is that as you go through the process, things change, and you have to you have to respond to those changes. And in design, goes to go through many iterations because the first good idea you should they teach you in school in architecture, and I'm sure they teach this in a lot of design professions, um, is don't fall in love with your first idea, mm. right? Yeah. Because your first idea, you might ultimately come back to that idea and yeah. manipulate it, but it's it's only a stepping stone in the design process for anything. And for architects, that's so critical. It's very easy to say. Here's a solution. And Oftentimes when we're doing a discovery process, we'll do what we call the cup exercise. Okay. And it's where we have a cup and it's, you know, it's got a little bit of definition to it. But then you have two minutes or five minutes, five minutes to write down everything you could use that cup for. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you, you get through the first seven or eight things that are just the obvious ones to some of the way more creative ones. I'll never forget somebody. It was it's kind of a metal cup. And they were like, oh, you, 
you know, a squirrel could use it as a helmet for a nut war. And, like, there's these things that you get to that you never would have thought, you know, were part of it. And to your point, you have to get through those first ideas and not fall in love with them to get some to some of the meatier things. Yeah. And then you the idea that you loved in the beginning that you were like, "No, but it's the best idea. Okay, I will yeah. I'll put it aside, but I know I'm going to come back to it." Ultimately, you look at that idea later if you've done this process yeah. properly and you you almost feel embarrassed about the first idea. You're like, "Wow, that's that's a terrible idea. Wow, who would have I didn't suggest that." But it led to this process. And, yeah. and often in, in a collaborative environment like in filmmaking or in architecture, most definitely like in our studio, someone has an idea someone else has an idea yeah. and that idea keeps building on that idea and people offer other ideas and ways to solve that. And that happens in as a response to te- technical aspects of the design about what's feasible to build, what's more affordable to build, um, just what's a better plan or all these things that factor into that um, that end up leading to ultimately uh, you know, a, a great project at Corrigan, right? Yeah. And I'm, film was the same way. But you think about how that correlates to this movie, Inception. So Inception's really about, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is a, a thief of ideas, right. essentially, right? Yeah. So he's putting he's together... a hijacker of ideas. It's a heist movie, yeah. uh, kind of. And yeah. he, he's putting together his team for the heist. And so uh, Elliot Page in that movie character is the architect right. brought on and is being tested in the scene you referenced earlier, right? And that is someone who has to create this environment that has to work in a dream sequence to convince somebody who right. they are in their their inception in their dream, right? So it has to be believable, has to evoke certain emotions, and it has to has to essentially capture them in that idea and in, in that dream sequence, right? Yeah. That's how I remember yeah. how that works. It has been a while since I watched that film. But that means that they have to be able to, as an architect, respond to all of those things and create this environment. But not only that... Well, and guess what's no, in a client's mind, too. Well, yeah, well, and there, there's no laws of physics yeah. in this dream sequence. So they can they can bend reality like we see here. And I think it's it's a, it's a testament to this movie is how many knockoffs came after this? Well, or just took the ideas you know, from this and wanted to take advantage of that, you know? You made me think of something. Very yeah. opening scene they have, and I forget the actor's name. He's been in a couple of movies. But that he did the architecture, and the way that they're kind of busted is the primary character gets kind of thrown to the floor and he's supposed to be in this private loft that he has and he realizes that the carpet is like a polyester and not a wool and so he has he realizes he's in a dream and he points this out to them and goes well I know this isn't real because that carpet is polyester not wool and 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 there's these there's these elements that I kept thinking of like how many times have you I mean there's it's this amazing feat where they've wrapped him in a dream world and the one little detail is what exposes the whole thing, or they just kind of drill on. And I don't, I'm, you know, we, we've certainly been not even in films, but in just projects we've done where the client will get attached to this one tiny insignificant oh, detail. Yeah. And I can imagine it's it's even exponentially happened with architecture too. Oh, yeah. Well, think about the process in making film. One of the ones I think that a lot of people are aware of is, is storyboarding. Yeah. Right? And yeah. we storyboard. We storyboard in architecture too. Yeah, it's not quite this linear process, um, maybe, but it meaning a clip for a clip, right? But we right. do sketches and we do all these. We're doing the same kind of stuff. You're doing room it, by room, and you're, you're, you're figuring out how that building goes together. And and it's interesting if you show too much information too early, or you try to resolve something too quickly, um, the the world pushes back, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't meaning that you might evoke an emotion from a client or from someone from your design team or anyone. That focuses on the wrong details. So you're, you're really what that gets back to is storytelling. Yeah, as an architect, we are also informing a client and guiding them to we're solving problems and we're guiding them to that the solution to their problem as we as we see fit. And we have to guide them in a path that they can understand and that 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 resonates with them. If we you, just jump to the solution early and show them a photorealistic rendering yeah. in the first meeting. Um, they're going to get hung up on all kinds of details that aren't resolved yet that we that we, that, that we don't want them to be hung up on. So we have to tell the right story at the right time. Do you have them? Do you do you find it difficult at times to have them <laughs> to, to to make a, a a poor parallel to acknowledge your role as the director almost and them as the audience? And what I mean by that is is I can imagine as an architect, a lot of times they see you as somebody that's a necessity to go put plans together to build a building and less of a collaborator to design an incredible experience. You know, I think it really depends because, so uh, Chuck, this isn't, well, 
I heard this quote directly from Chuck Armstrong, and it's very much a truth in architecture, which is you're only as good as your clients. Mm. Your work, you, only, you, know, you, can't, you can't do great architecture without great clients. I think it's actually what Chuck had said to me in a conversation one time. We were talking about a project, and our best work is with our clients who are, who, even if they don't know what they want, yeah. they can make decisions. Yeah. And they have enough vision to see that. And so, you know, we're often working to, they bring us on board to help them to that path, right? But those great clients, they, 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 they know what they want when we're able to show it to them. And so it's, it's a collaborative process. Sometimes they already know what they want already, but, but it's, it's working together. So, so the director, we talked about this one time before, when, you, when you, try to, you try to compare the roles in filmmaking to architecture, like mm -hmm. who's the, if you have three main players or entities in architecture, which might be um, the architect, the contractor and the the who's paying the bills the owner right, right? um and if film you maybe have the produ the producer the developer right uh, i'm sorry the producer the um director and the executive um, producers pay executive, the bills yeah, the suits right <laughs> uh the, the, those the, but they don't always they're not always analogous with each other yeah. directly because the really long way to answer your question or your comment um and address it is the director might be the architect, but it might also be the owner. Yeah, and likely it's both in a, in a, in a, a co-directed mm -hmm. role. Uh, ultimately, because the, ultimately the director is, uh, or the sorry, the 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 client is the one who is having to make the final decisions. Yeah, ultimately in, in most examples here, and so we as an architect only play a role in consulting to them to guide them on that path. And there are yeah. many things that they are taking into account that we need to be aware of, but often are even beyond our ability to, our limitations of what we're, what we're privy to in the process. But yeah. we have to understand we know what their budget is and what their program and their goals are. And often we lead them in a process um, on that to figure out what their program actually needs to be or what their budget might be. Yeah. Um, so, the, so you're wearing different hats at, different at, at, at the same time. So it's interesting, it's, it's very collaborative. Well, um, I am excited about this series. I think it's going to be really a lot of fun. We definitely have, we, we, I think you've probably said, and I've definitely thought, oh, we need to do another one on that. We need to do another one on that. So if you're watching this and you're like, oh, I really wish they would talk about, you know, X, Y, or Z, please feel free to put it in the comments or ping us and let us know. Yeah. Um, we'll have to talk about what our next one is. Um, but I really look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for watching.